You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, most gracious and ever-living God, I give you great thanks and praise for the gift of this day. I thank you for uh, specifically our compromands and their presence here this day. And I thank you that in Jesus, your Son, you seek us graciously, persistently, I thank you that you promised not to leave us, but that you would send your Holy Spirit. And I pray for each of them that during the time of their preparation, during the time of their confirmation, that you would wonderfully, graciously imprint your Spirit upon them. And as we're gathered today, Lord, I pray that today will be your day, and the words which we shared here will be yours and for your glory. All this I ask and offer in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, if you've never come to this before, this is sixth grade confirmation Q&A with the dean. Uh, and so the sixth graders, um, I mean, we could call it stomp the dean. But, um, <laughs> but anyhow, the, um, this, this class goes back a long, long time. And, uh, and so the sixth graders have served up some questions that they have. And Craig will be, uh, will be answering those. I might jump in a little bit. Um, <laughs> but um, but anyhow, but adults, you know, the thing we love about this class is generally the questions the sixth graders have, the adults have as well. So it's pretty edifying for all of us. So first question, and this is you know this is a staple every year. Do pets go to heaven? Yes. Uh, well, uh, what a great uh, opportunity to be in this gathering today. Hey, would y'all, if you're uh, if you're one of the compromands, would y'all raise your hands for me? Awesome, thanks. Well, I uh, love the questions. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I hope this doesn't turn out too much like a Senate hearing where I, I say I'm not sure and I do not recall. Uh, but uh, do, do pets go to heaven? Now, my typical stock response to that, which is not necessarily helpful, is dogs, yes, cats, maybe. That's uh, <laughs> typically uh, where I begin on, on that one. But you know, it's interesting. I, I can remember. Um, early on in ministry, one of the things that they have you do is you work as a hospital chaplain for the summer. And this is after your first year of seminary. And let me ask you all a question. How much do you think I knew after my first year of seminary? <laughs> exactly. Um, a lot. Uh, I knew a lot. And so there we were, though, as hospital chaplains. And I can remember being called in. Uh, it was the oncology ward. And a woman was there, and she was dying. And so she was asking me questions about heaven. And what will heaven, what will heaven be like? And um, I, I felt a little bit of pressure. She must have had fifty family members in the room with her, and her son was standing next to me. He was obviously a bouncer, because um, he had these huge biceps, and he had his name on his shirt, and it was a particular club that I wouldn't frequent. And, uh, and there he was, and so she's asking me questions. Are the streets really paved with gold? Um, Will uh, I be able to let my children know that I'm okay? Uh, things like that. I mean, she had very sincere, genuine, pressing questions, understandably, about uh, about heaven and what it will be like. And, and basically, to some degree, she seemed to absolutely believe, but, but wonder. And uh, what we do know, and so anyway, I preface that by way of saying what I shared with her in that particular moment, because as you might imagine, I prayed, um, Lord, guide me on, on what to say here. Not only do I want to say what will be helpful, but I, I want to say what will be true. Um, 
as, as well, because the truth is helpful. And, and what I told her in that particular moment, I said, you know, some of those questions I don't know. Um, uh, but what we do know is the nature and character of God revealed in Jesus. And that he says, you know what, I go before you to prepare a place for you. That's John 14. And he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go before you to prepare a place, and I will come, and I will take you to myself and where I am. You may be also. And when Jesus says, um, I prepare the way, that's good news. Because what that says to us is that um, rather than you and I getting it just right, it's Jesus who goes and prepares the way. And he says, I'm, I, I, I don't lie to you. I tell you the truth. And Revelation has all this amazing imagery of, of heaven being a place um, of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Uh, and, and the light which exists uh, and emanates from that place is none other than God himself, which is in the midst of that place. That, that, that God and, and the joy and the radiance and the truth of God um, uh, are in that place. And there is a new heavens and there is a new earth, um, uh, Revelation um, talks about. And so this is me. Um, I, I think uh, we, we know it's real. So that part, we know it's real, um, because, because God's real, and God is honest, and God fulfills his promises. Um, and so there is life prepared for us. And I think in many ways, it's beyond, even in the book of Revelation, it's beyond our wildest imaginings. Uh, even though that which was given to John in the Revelation, it's beyond our ability to uh, comprehend the opportunity to be knit together with God and with one another. It talks about how in the new heaven and new earth, there's no gate. Um, why? Because there's no threat there. Um, things are restored as they should be. So in that sense, and this is where I may be wrong, I think the new heavens and the new earth, uh, will animals be there? Absolutely. Because this is, you know, God in all his glory has put things together right. We don't grow old. Uh, we don't die. Uh, we don't um, deteriorate. All Everything lives in harmony with God and one another in the way that it was intended prior to the fall. And so... Um, uh, I think if this were a deposition, I'd give the same answer. Yes. Um, I think there will be animals in heaven, and I think it will be all of God's glory and all of his creation perfectly, perfectly restored. Yeah, I agree. I, th and I think there's some biblical justification for this. Now, the question, you have to remember, when you, if you were to die tonight in Christ, you would go to heaven. But when Christ returns, um, we will be with him, and he will restore the earth. So I think that Cats die as a product of the fall. Mm -hmm. Jesus is going to restore all the negative effects of the fall. And um, and so it says in uh, Isaiah 11, verse 7, it says, the cow, shall, um, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And so with that being said, we, we, this is about the new heavens and the new earth. We see a presence of heaven, sorry, a presence of animals in the new earth. Um, in two different places in Isaiah, and so uh, my, my thinking is, yeah, that mm -hmm. pets will be in the new heavens and the new earth. And, as Craig said, uh, no matter what the answer to your question about heaven, you're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to be disappointed with anything in heaven. Everything will, will be perfectly in the feeling and satisfying. All right, good, good question. Next question: What was Jesus' childhood like? Did he do miracles as a kid? You know, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great question. And the honest answer is, 
We don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood other than he had a, a tendency to hang behind um, when his parents had left um, and they found him and they found him in the temple. So Jesus' parents experienced what most of us as parents have experienced, the frantic looking for your child um, and, and wondering where your child is. It's interesting. So there's some different material out there. Um, so the, the, the church in time, uh, because you had, you had eyewitnesses. You had people, like we heard the accounts today, people who literally saw Jesus risen from the grave, uh, that, that ate fish and ate bread with them, um, people who were eyewitnesses. And so they would know what was true and untrue, what was accurate, what was inaccurate. There's some um, sort of spurious but interesting material out there written about you know, Jesus performing these miracles um, as a child sort of for fun and uh, Jesus zapping people that were mean to him. Uh, and those are completely spurious and tossed out. Um, and so Spurious meaning? Spurious meaning absolutely untrue, uh, misleading, incorrect. Uh, deceitfully untrue. Yes, exactly. But you know, here's actually one of the things that's really cool. Uh, all these are, are awesome questions, great questions. One of the things that is at the heart of Christianity, one of the things that is unique about Christianity, is a God, we'll, you know, we'll talk some about creation as well, but a, but a God who is um, a God who's tangible uh, and, and real. And one of the things that we see about God's love and grace for us is that Jesus actually came into the world in the same way uh, that you and I came into the world. Whatever, eight pounds, six ounces, um, whatever, whatever, whatever it was. Jesus came into the world the same way that you and I came into the world, and he, and he grew, and he experienced uh, challenges and, and 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 trials, and he grew and and knowledge. I mean, one of the things that the Bible does talk about is that Jesus grew in knowledge, um, knowledge of God. We we find him. Um, in the temple, and he's asking questions of the teachers there, and they're amazed at his knowledge. I mean, he has this love and this hunger and this thirst. So it's funny. And, you know, uh, the, the, the probability was that, you know, just kind of like you, he, um, uh, he, he learned things and had to take his, uh, you know, he had to make the had to make his bed, and he had to, uh, you know, set the table, and, and he learned how to be a carpenter, and he, you know, uh, learned about God, and he learned scripture, and he, and that's, that's kind of one of the amazing and miraculous things, that God is completely identified with us, and so we know very little about his childhood, other than, I mean, obviously, radically different in the sense of time, but he would have been like you, um, uh, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I think one thing to touch on there, Craig, is like, our answers about Jesus and about God come exclusively from the Bible. Yeah. Like we, you know, this is a question. We don't have any information about Jesus' childhood other than the trip to the temple. And so it's one thing we need to get comfortable with is being able to say, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, I don't know. So, um, so just that's a just one little thing I would add. I'd say, I think that's a great, uh, I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, there's so much like, you know, this is what we know, a lot of these things. Not surprising, a lot of your questions will be, um, I hate to break it, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, next. What happened uh, in terms of salvation and eternal life? What happened to people in the Bible before Jesus? It says, what happened to the people in the Bible who came before Jesus after they died? Mm-hmm. So basically, in terms of their eternal life or salvation, what happened to people before Christ coming? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, we, we, tell, tell us what you think, Cameron. Uh, I, mean, uh, um, I mean, there's clearly in the Old Testament, there's a way to salvation. 
Uh, you see in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So there's a way of salvation in the Old Testament, and that way, the way of salvation in the Old Testament is through great, through faith in God's grace. Like, they did have a sacrificial system, but what really mattered about the sacrificial system was not just taking the sacrifice to the temple. What mattered is that when you came to the temple, you knew, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus, I'm sorry, I need God to forgive my sins uh, mercifully. And that brought people into saving relationships. So, um, so yeah, like, the, 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 the way that they, were, people were saved, like they um, saved and ended up in heaven, and uh, but it was through this principle. In principle, it was through the same way that is through trust in God's grace um, through faith. Yeah, no, that's a great um, that's a great answer, um, Cameron. Um, and so the next one is Cameron. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, that was a great that, that was a great answer. Um, but one one of the things that uh, uh, is interesting again, it's kind of one of those. That's one of those often tend to respond, God is trustworthy. Um, I mean, I, that might sound simple, but we see again and again that God is, that God is trustworthy. It's interesting, at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when God is making a covenant with his people, and God is saying, you know, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. We're going to be in a relationship together. And Abram, God makes a covenant with Abram, and Abram has this vision. And interestingly, what happens in the covenant is that, uh, you know, the Cameron mentioned the sacrificial system, the animal would be sacrificed, and the person would walk through the sacrifice, and you sort of get the imagery, right? It's a little intense. Um, if I break this covenant, let this happen to me. Um, and so they took their promises really seriously. Like, this is a, <laughs> this is a big deal. It wasn't this, I mean, that's, that's dramatic, uh, how serious these promises and these assurances are. And interestingly, who do you think would typically be the one to walk through that the one with more power, the one with less power. Less power, right? Um, but you know, as Abram has this vision, you know who goes through the sacrifice? It's God. It's God. So from the very beginning, uh, God said, it's dependent upon me. At the end of the day, um, it's God's... So from the very beginning, you know, uh, they, the New Testament talks about um, Abraham and his faith, and that he was reconciled as righteous through his faith in God. Uh, and so from the very beginning, uh, it's been dependent upon the graciousness uh, of, of God. Um, that's, that's, our, that's our hope. But also, that, you know, there's times you have Jesus' transfiguration, and uh, as Jesus is making his way to the cross, and if y'all remember, and if, you know, you're not going to flunk confirmation if you don't, but uh, do you remember who appears with Jesus and is speaking with him? Two central figures from the Old Testament. You know what? Um, I um, I would have been thrilled and delighted and completely surprised if you said Moses <laughs> and Elijah, even if you knew it. Um, so even if you responded in that particular moment, but Jesus is talking with Moses um, and and with Elijah. I mean, you know. So you know, there they are. They're not, they're not cast away. He's talking with Moses and Elijah. And elsewhere, when Jesus is talking with the religious leaders, and he talks about um, speaking with David, uh, it being that you know, God's people are alive. Um, so once again, you're welcome for that complete clarity. Um, but God is trustworthy, uh, and he will, not, he will not forsake his people. 
Good stuff. All right, number four. This is also one that shows up quite often yeah. in the, uh, the history of confirmation. That is, what does the Apostles' Creed when it mean when it says that Jesus descended into hell? Yeah. So there's, um, not, su- not surprisingly, uh, within the Christian context, people have debated what that means over the years and how, uh, you know, some saying that Jesus literally went down to the dead, went down to hell to release you know, the, 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 the people that, that were there. Um, how we often understand it, and when it says that Jesus descended into hell, is kind of going back to the previous, what was Jesus' childhood like? That, that Jesus really was a person like you and I are people. God really did identify and take on humanity and was, was like us, uh, growing uh, and, and walking. And so similarly, in some ways, Jesus literally died. He didn't just kind of die. Um, it wasn't it wasn't just a show, but he wasn't really dead, was to say when Jesus descended into hell, what that means is he died. I mean, he experienced rejection. He experienced uh, judgment. He experienced all the rightful wrath of God against the sin of the world. Uh, he experienced that. He experienced death in the tomb. He wasn't just kind of in the tomb behind the stove, but he was really alive. <laughs> he was Like, he was dead. He was dead. Uh, there was a great... Um, Frank Limehouse was one of our previous deans, and I remember something he said one time, um, and I thought that was very powerful. It was someone who had just lost someone, uh, someone they really loved. It was his mother who had just died. And Frank said to that person, Jesus was once this dead. Um, and so my typical understanding what says Jesus descended into hell was for you and for me, he experienced all uh, that would fall upon us and, and didn't just you know figuratively die, literally died in three days, literally rose again in the body with the wounds. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right on target in that, you know, the wages of sin are death. So there is like a spiritual punishment for our sin. And I think what we really take away from he descended into hell is that Jesus experienced the entirety of the spiritual punishment of sin, but on our behalf. Um, so that we don't have to. Yeah. It's, 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 so really, it's about uh, you know the other Christian word uh, is is atonement. Um, that, that Jesus uh, Jesus paid the price in full. Jesus uh, cleared the slate. Um, he made us one with God um, through His cross and His resurrection. Good stuff. Now we're moving now to the uh, the back half or the back nine of the yes. major questions. Uh, what is your favorite Bible story and why? Uh, get a get a turn, dog. Um, you know, uh, I can go first if you want to. I was gonna say this is I struggle with this one. Go ahead. Yeah, my favorite is Second uh, Samuel story with Bishop and David. Uh, I know y'all are like, oh, way to pull the most obscure story in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this story of um, the uh, uh, the grandson of King Saul, Bishop. He's he's a uh, he's lame. He that broke both of his feet. Can't walk. And so. Um, King David asked the question, um, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I might show kindness to? Typically what would happen is with a new king, they would find family members of the old king and they would kill them all. And so Mephibosheth was, you know, uh, the grandson of the old king. And so he's expecting that he's being brought to David to be terminated. And uh, instead, when he comes to David. David says, Mephibosheth, and he's, 
excited to see him, and he says, I want to restore all your land, and I want you to eat at my table for the rest of your life as if you're my own child. And, um, and so it's this incredible story of the kind of example of the gospel in terms of we've sinned against God, and yet God seeks us out, brings us into his family, and treats us like his own children. And then the last, I don't know if anybody, anybody know, for bonus points, for a Diet Coke the next time we see each other at the Coke machine. Anybody know the last verse of that story? I bet, I bet, I bet I'm going to end up. What's the, last, what's the last sentence of the, of the story? And the, I don't know off the top of my head. Anybody know this? Yeah, no pressure. Last, last, last. So it tells the story, there's this great crescendo, and the last sentence is, and Mephibosheth remained, remained lame for the rest of his life. So it just this is this like kind of beautiful story about power. It just kind of emphasizes he's still weak, he's still powerless, and yet uh, he's you know, that's my favorite story. Awesome answer. Uh, <laughs> awesome. You know, it's, it's, this is one. I mean, I really struggle with this one because there's so many. Um, gosh, there's so many great. Uh, there's so many great stories that you know Jesus, the parables that uh, Jesus told, and and some of the Old Testament stories are so. Amazing. I mean, I love, and I guess there's a characteristic of a lot of these that I love. Um, Jacob, uh, the story of Jacob and uh, Jacob and Esau, and and Jacob receiving a new name, and because uh, that was one when I was younger, I really struggled with God, and um, uh, I didn't have to leave for 20 years, but um, but I but I struggled with God, and so, but part of that lameness kind of comes into that as well, in that. Um, uh, God had every right um, to toss Jacob out, uh, and he didn't. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, um, God continued to pursue him. And even uh, even as Jacob was returning home, he's still kind of manipulating and trying to pull strings and trying to control things and so forth. And he wrestles. Um, he wrestles with God, uh, and uh, he, if you remember. Um, he says, I won't let you go uh, unless you bless me. And the question is asked of him to give um, your name. Um, what, is, what is your name? Um, and uh, <coughs> Jacob has to basically confess. Because um, his name it heals. His name it snatcher. His name it grabber. Um, so basically what it says, you know, I've been snatching and grabbing um, and scheming my entire life. Uh, and it's... Uh, the, the messenger of the Lord touches the hip and it's, his hip is thrown out and so he limps away. Um, he limps away from the place but he's actually whole and peaceful for the first time. Um, and so I, I love I love that story about how great God is to chase him and chase him and chase him. Same with Elijah. The Elijah story is so great. I mean Elijah's a huge success and then Jezebel says I'm going to kill you and he runs um, and he tells God I quit. Um, I've had it. I'm out of here. Thank God graciously pursues him and restores him. The story of Gideon um, is such a great story. Gideon's hiding out in the wine press, and God, uh, with a sense of humor, shows up and says, Hail, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm not unhinged. It's funny. Uh, it's actually really funny. Uh, so it's, 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 it's hilarious. Um, I mean, God's sense of humor, and, and God gives him the victory, but not only, but he you know takes the army down more and more and more and more until and and the, and, it, and the reason given is so you know that I'm the one that accomplishes it, um, that I'm sufficient for you, and so and then lastly I could go on. There's so many. Um, I love John six, and it's a little melancholy. 
Um, but Jesus is teaching, and he says, and it's going great. And then he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And people begin to say, this is a hard teaching. And they begin to, they begin to go away. And Jesus says to his close friends, his followers, his disciples, what about you? You're going to leave also. And uh, Peter wonderfully says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, you alone hold the keys to eternal life. And uh, I've, I've always found that one so great. It's like when, when things are going great, when things aren't going great, but I like what God seems to be saying, but I don't like what God seems to be saying. It's like, you know what, I've tried all the other alternatives, and I did. And Lord, you alone are true. Uh, you alone hold the keys to eternal life. There's nowhere else for me to go. Mm, great stuff. All right, next one is, is pretty easy. This is a layup. Um, is there any conflict between science and Christianity? Um, what should we do? <laughs> What should we do when we learn things in school, like perhaps evolution, that seem to contradict the Bible? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, it's it, it's unfortunate because um, learning and science and education and mathematics and, and not just you know humanities and letters, but I mean historically Christianity uh, was where these things came from, um, and so Christians and the Christian community were. And, even, and, and, and still today, so unfortunately I think what happens is there's this false distinction which is, which is created. I mean, God is the source of truth. God is the source of knowledge. God is the source of creation. So unfortunately there's um, false distinction. I'll say this. Um, my middle daughter was a biomedical sciences major. Um, that was her undergraduate. And my youngest daughter is a science teacher. So... Um, I think it's fair to say I don't have a problem with science. Um, I'm very fond of my you know, my daughters. But, you know, I, I guess what's challenging is, is this as well, is that uh, to some degree what I would say in response, and I'd be happy to say more, and Cameron can speak to this too, um, I encourage you to sift things, to not take everything at face value. Um, because, again, I, I, listen, I believe in, um, that God is the source of knowledge, and so God's quite happy for us to learn and to ask questions and to um, engage and, and study and question. Uh, God's more than sufficient to, to take care of that. But people tend to present things, whether it be science or whatever, as if it's unbiased. Um, and nothing's unbiased. Um, everyone, to some degree, you know, I mean, this in a negative, but it's, it's not. And not you, you can't just simply say science, so it's true. Um, because you have lots of different quote scientists and lots of people make claims that, that are true um, and so yeah you just say um, we have no fear of engaging we have no fear of learning just because someone says something is true doesn't make it true um, and that's not saying to um, we'll get downtown to our dinosaurs um, so I don't have a problem with dinosaurs yeah, that's, that's so, actually coming right around the corner yeah it, 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 exactly I mean I saw um, Jurassic Park so um, but but no, but people make claims, and uh, so I would say kind of sift and kind of question. Yeah, people are going to Yeah, I'd say a couple of things, a, a few quick things. One, um, personally, I found studying science to be increased my faith. Yeah. Because when you start to really get into the nuances of biology and chemistry mm -hmm. and these different disciplines of science, like if you actually believe that that you could achieve that kind of harmony. And that kind of complexity randomly, like you have to have so much blind faith to believe that, uh, that I don't have that kind of blind faith. Mm -hmm. uh, you, it, I, the only way you could explain the intricacies of life 
in biology is if there is a good, brilliant, perfect sovereign God. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing I would yeah. say. And um, another thing I would say is, okay, the Bible has over 1,000 chapters, okay? How many of those chapters are dedicated to creation? Two. Okay, the, the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are giving a theological explanation, a spiritual explanation of how God made the world. It's not offering a nuanced biological explanation to how everything happened. It's, it's, it's written in poetic verse, most of it. So it, you, have to, you have to look at what you call the genre, the type of writing. It's not a biology textbook. This is, you know, a, this is a, a, a book about God. This is a book about theology and, and, and um, spirituality. And so, you know, people will attack the insufficiencies of the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and it's like, as two chapters of the book, and the, the remaining thousand plus chapters are about God reconciling sinners to himself. That's what the Bible's about, okay? And then the last thing I would say is just to um, reinforce what Craig says, to be, to be skeptical. The organ did an insight into exciting life that I live. I was in a hotel on Monday night, and I was ironing clothes watching the Weather Channel. And uh, there was a show about the origins of the world. And, and these people were kind of talking about, like, from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And their explanation, like, a, an essential thing for, for the Earth. And I'm, I'm not a, not a, not a, not a uh, science person like a lot of the doctors in this room. But their explanation, like, one thing that's essential for the Earth and for life on Earth is that there's a moon that revolves around it. Um, that, has, that plays into it somehow, and I'm sure there are a bunch of people here who can explain it more. And so their explanation for how we got the moon was that a massive, um, you know, object, asteroid, whatever the term is, hit the Earth, and debris flew off the Earth, and one of those pieces of debris happened to perfectly revolve around the world to create, um, create something in the physics of the world so that it could sustain life. And I'm like, do you really believe that? I mean, like, I'm sorry. I think there's more evidence for the Easter Bunny than there is for that. And um, no offense. Uh, and so all of my point in that is to say, like, so much of what people tell you about science as, like, this is a fact. It's like, this is extremely speculative. And I promise you, we look back at science from 100 years ago, and we're like, can you believe we actually believe that? I promise you, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, we're going to look back at stuff that we believe right now, and we're going to say, God, we were really stupid back then. Okay? So I just think there had, like Craig said, there has to be a proper level of skepticism and humility about a big, big claims about like the origin of the earth and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's one of the things that we all face, and certainly you face, is people are presenting different worldviews. Uh, everybody's. Everybody is presenting a, a worldview of some sort or another, and so it's, it's not completely unbiased. Uh, we have three kids, uh, and particularly when our first, Psalm 139, O oh Lord, you search me out and know me, you knit me together in the mother's womb, your works are wonderful. Um, and so that's, that's a true statement, but it's not a scientific statement. But I remember when our kids were growing, we had baby books. Uh, your child is now the size of a grape, um, and then um, Jack was a plum. Um, and then he was a cantaloupe, and you know, sort of, he would kind of move down the fruits. As, as he, but I remember being so absolutely blown away with Maisie and Sally, too. Jack was our first. But just, uh, I mean, that's kind of sad, but it's also, you know, it's true. I mean, the, from the very beginning, 
God is the creator who searches us out and knows us and who knits us together from the very beginning. Your works are wonderful. We know that full well is what the psalmist says. Great stuff. All right, we got two questions. We got two minutes. I'm going to take number eight about dinosaurs real fast. Cool. And then we're going to land the plane with number seven. What is your day-to-day practice of the Bible? Reading and prayer. So the question is, number eight says, did Abraham see dinosaurs? Were there dinosaurs in the garden? Um, this is a question everybody asks. I personally have never had a problem with dinosaurs. Here's why. All right, so first off, dinosaurs existed. We have fossils. We can see this. There were dinosaurs, okay? Uh, something we also see and we've observed very much in, in the last 50 years is that as the climate can change really fast, and as the climate changes, animals go extinct, all right? And so... Dinosaurs existed, and they went extinct. It's interesting, in the book of Job, they're talking about two huge animals. One's called the Leviathan. And so some people, now Job is probably the, is the oldest book of the Bible. Um, Job lived before the flood, before the flood, before the flood. Um, and so with that being said, um, with that being said, some people are like, yeah, he's referring to animals that are probably dinosaurs. And so, yeah, I think they're dinosaurs. I think they went extinct before the flood. And um, you don't need to be afraid of dinosaurs. Get excited about Jurassic Park. Absolutely, you know, uh, T-Rex, Brontosaurus. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, absolutely. We're simultaneously down with that. Yeah, so uh, day-to-day practice of Bible reading and prayer, right? Who's the better Christian, Craig or Cameron? <laughs> That's right, exactly. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, because I, I will say, um, I have a, uh, a chaplain in seminary said he always wanted to be those really disciplined guys, and so he uh, decided this morning he was going to kneel down beside his bed and say his prayers, and he's going to be very disciplined in this way. He said, I woke up at lunch and I couldn't move. Yeah. Um, so there's different there's different spiritual gifts um, out there. But And this sounds like a cop-out, but I, I pray all the time. Um, I mean, I pray in the morning specifically. I pray in the evening. Um, specifically, and so there's there's time as, as I begin my day and as I end my day that I that I pray. And sometimes I'm kneeling, you know, on my knees. Sometimes I'm sitting. Sometimes I'm laying down. Um, you know, the yeah. So and sometimes I'm walking. I pray a lot as I'm as, as I'm walking early in the mornings. Um, uh, so I go up very early. And that's a lot of time for my for my prayers. And so you can take any number of positions, uh, and you know, hey, that's 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 all good. But um, why I love prayer and, and, and reading the Bible, so I guess to say is, you know, in the morning and in the evening, um, are there some days when I really knock it out of the park? Yes. Are there some days when I strike out? Yes. Um, absolutely. My, my prayer and Bible reading are not perfect, um, and neither will yours be, but, but they are life-giving. And so, um, because God does speak to us through the Bible. God does give us truth. He does give us uh, structure. He does give us life through that. And, and the same with prayer. What prayer is, it's a relationship. And you can talk with God normally, honestly. Um, there's no sense hiding. It's like when you were little, maybe you did this, or you had a sibling. You're playing hide and seek, and they closed their eyes, and they thought you couldn't see them uh, because they closed their eyes. So it's like the same with God. God knows. So it's like prayer is such a wonderful opportunity to be honest, to be in relationship with God, um, and to hear from God. I find... Um, yeah, I find that it really gives me God's presence and God's truth and God's guidance and God's peace. Um, uh, it's a life source. I find it really living and active. And I'm profoundly grateful that we have a God who listens um, and, and, uh, and a God who 
God who hears. And, and the God who responds, um, I don't hear God speak to me audibly. Um, I've had some times in my life where it's sort of seemingly like, bam, um, God undeniably answering in, a, in an incredibly specific way, quickly, almost immediately. And I've had other times where it's like I kind of prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And prayed. And prayed again. And sort of like God seems to be speaking very slowly or really quietly. Because uh, I, I don't seem to be hearing it. Yeah, so I'll, I'm probably not going to answer. I'm going to, since we're out. Uh, go ahead. Okay, sure. All right, sure. Um, it's worth I'll, it. I'll say I'm kind of like Craig in the sense of I, I pray a lot during the day. I pray a lot as I go. I pray in the car. I pray when I take a shower. I pray when I wash the dishes. Um, pray if I want to if I'm, when I swim. So I, just, I do a lot of prayer, and I have different kind of different categories of things that I pray for every day. Uh, and then, you know, Bible, I try to read the Bible every day. Sometimes I swing and miss on that, but um, I try to be in the Word every day. But one thing I will say is, uh, since it's coming from a sixth grader, you're going into the youth group, is one thing that we're really committed to is to help you feel comfortable knowing how to pray and knowing how to read the Bible. I have something every other Sunday night. Um, every other Sunday night on IDM, discipleship night. And um, at that, we particularly give you skills to be able to read the Bible. And so here's one thing, a couple quick things on that. One is, you would be amazed at how much ground you can cover, how much encouragement you can receive by reading the Bible for five minutes. Just open it up, reading a psalm, digging it for five minutes. You can, you can be very, very blessed by five good minutes. And, um, and then five, and five minutes of prayer. And so, so yeah, that's you know, over a bowl of cereal in the morning. And... Um, yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that's There's so say. much more. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, I will say I'm so uh, Cameron for you and for the crew. So incredibly grateful uh, that all of my group went through confirmation here. I'm grateful for you and your willingness uh, to to walk through this time, and that we have the people and the ministry here that we do. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, you want to pray for us, Lord Jesus. For this time, we give you thanks that you are the source of truth, that you, like a good and gracious shepherd, are always walking with us and going before us. Uh, be with each confirmand and all the people here. Um, speak to us, most gracious God. Reveal yourself. Well, when you have revealed yourself to us, draw us to you. Um, draw us to you uh, that we might be with you and with one another. As we go forth, go with us, lead us, and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.